we tried to really understand, you know, what were their specific pain points and what were we trying to address? Because what's interesting is oftentimes um, as a technology entrepreneur, you have this idea and you love the idea, right? And you want to birth that idea, but it's not always, uh, there's not always a problem that goes with that idea. So it was important for us to really make sure that we understood the problem and the key thing that we're trying to solve. This is My Product Tested, the show that unpacks how successful founders have tested their way to the top and all the market validation that happened along the way. In studio, as always, from the Hype team, Miles Hoefakt and Cameron Calder, and here in studio this week, Tata Shermer, founder of the South African health tech startup, Zoe Health. Tata and her founding team have spent the last year building a product that's on a mission to make women's wellness in Africa more convenient, affordable, and caring, with a focus on family planning, fertility, and maternity care. Tata herself is a top entrepreneur making a difference at companies like Uber and Life Healthcare. She boasts a LinkedIn experience list longer than a pharmaceutical pamphlet, a key Girl Code board member, and an intrinsically incredible person to work with. Some have gone as far as to call her a superwoman of the health tech industry. Tato, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, good to have you. Um, super excited for this one. I think it's uh, going to be very relevant and very, very current. Um, so, yeah, very excited. Yeah, it's been a while since we've been running to get you in the studio. So, Tato, you're now almost a year in and have an epic platform. Um, and some pretty incredible recent growth. But today in this very room, after all the work that you guys have been doing to date, what is Zoe Health today? So Zoe Health today is, um, you know, uh, the result of an idea born uh, between my co-founder, Dr. Noni and I over the last, I'd say, year and a half or so. Um, and today on Zoe Health, you know, women are able to access a variety of healthcare services that are tailored to women's unique, specific um, reproductive health needs. So you can jump onto the platform, you're able to get a consult with more than 50 different providers, doulas to doctors, midwives to pharmacists, etc. And um, women are also able to engage with other healthcare providers on the platform, ask questions and engage with other women going through health, the same healthcare season. So Pregnant women are able to connect. And women going through PCOS or endometriosis are able to connect. And then lastly, um, in January, we launched um, contraceptive subscriptions. So you're able to have your contraceptive delivered to your house conveniently every single month, which I think has been um, great for convenience and access and affordability. So so today, this this Zoe Health platform, there's, there's the product offering itself. And then there's this underlying community that sits sits below it. 100%. So the community is ultimately the foundation of what we're building. And prior, we actually piloted and tested, um, you know, the format for the community because it was important for us to get that right. So we used a, a bunch of available tools on the markets. And once we were, we got enough of those insights um, earlier this year, we then went out on a full build. So the community app is available on Android and Apple, um, soon to be Huawei as well um, as, as a web based portal for those who don't have you know access to smartphones and women are able to engage and connect with one another um, on the community yeah that's amazing and and we're going to get uh, more into the actual product that it is today but you know back when you first started with uh, nani and the amazing sort of product that it is today 
that first sort of start when you guys launched, you know, um, Tato, you have an amazing experience and background and you've worked with some incredible companies, you know, like the, the Ubers and involved in initiatives like uh, Girl Code. You know, these are amazing experiences that kind of shape your decision making into uh, products that you're launching and, and businesses that you're starting. Those experiences that you've you've had and endured and the people that you've met, how did that kind of shape your your decision to, you know, partner up with Nani and build this this amazing platform? Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, I look back at my career now and uh, it, it, it's such an obvious thread. Um, and, you know, every experience has taught me something. Every experience has given me the tools to be able to to start this venture. And I think what's been consistent, um, I started my career as a consultant at um, McKinsey & Company and I was working the digital practice and it was very clear to me early on that technology has the potential to make real change on the continent in particular. Um, because with technology, we can move faster, we can make things more accessible and more affordable. Um, and so working in that space, particularly around financial services, um, you know, working with a few banks on the continent, you know, it really opened my eyes to that possibility. Um, so I always thought, okay, we might, I want to figure out how I might use technology to solve a really big problem, especially one that affects people on the continent. The second piece is, you know, I've always had an impact lens. Like, you know, I love, I love my corporate life, um, but, you know, I always felt like I really want to make an impact ultimately to, to people. And that's when I started kind of my healthcare journey. I worked as the chief of staff to the CEO of Discovery Vitality. Then I moved across to Life Healthcare um, and then most recently prior to Uber, I was working with Netcare Digital. And, you know, seeing that, okay, well, if if we can use technology to really impact health outcomes and improve, you know, people's lives, I think that's something that's super exciting. Then the pandemic hit, and I think what it did was accelerate so much of that, you know, a few years ahead of maybe where it was, it was, it was, it was at the time. Um, and really starting to see that, you know, afford, uh, technology can really help with healthcare, um, but not just you know, making it convenient and easy, but really around things like affordability and access, particularly in a country like ours, where, you know, not everyone has the same equal access to healthcare. And even those that have great great access to healthcare is incredibly expensive. So with Noni's clinical brain, um, she's got her PhD in molecular and cell biology, and she focuses on a lot of cancer research and you know, one of the leading scientists of the country um, and myself with my business and technology background, you know, we came together and it was actually our own personal stories, our own experiences with women's healthcare that catalyzed the whole project, right? So, you know, she's a mom of two boys. Um, I don't have children as yet. And we just had unique experiences that, you know, our friends would echo, our family members would echo. When we went out into the market to do research, women would echo. So it was pretty clear that, okay, this is something that no one's really spending a lot of time solving for. Um, and we were the perfect pair to do it. And so that's why we decided to look at, you know, how we might solve um, access to women's health services. And uh, that's when Zoe was born. Yeah, Tato, that's... Uh actually such an incredible story and i think uh, as you say you, uh, you just had the right recipe for it at the right time um you know was there was there a moment for the both of you when you kind of realized that you're onto something and that this is going to grow into what it is today Yes, so um, it was interesting. I mean, we, we we were always passionate about it and we're tinkering with the idea and doing research, but it hit us when we launched a pilot because, you know, I'm very obsessed with figuring out how to get things um, to market in a very quick and, and, and affordable way um, so you can mm. test your concept, right, without building something, you know, super complicated. Love that, yeah. And uh, we launched our pilot last year, I think it was in May or so, and... 
Um, in the pilot unit, we got registered, obviously, healthcare providers. Uh, we used like a very simple landing page. We used Calendly for people to make bookings. And we thought, okay, it's just going to be like a friend or two and, you know, one our sister and like <laughs> someone else who, who books, people who know, and they're like, oh, shit, we feel bad for them. And we, with almost like no marketing, I mean, like we put up like one post, um, we shared it with some folks. And um, in that space, I think we got something like 30 bookings, right, before we even like really Unreal. Off. Yeah. And once we did go and we had those experiences with these women and we interviewed them, posted, they were like, when this came up, like, I was like, absolutely, I got this from a friend who got it from a friend who got it from a friend and I wanted the service and the feedback we were getting post um, the service and as women from all, all walks of life, all ages, all races, all parts of South Africa um, and just them saying, wow, I'm so happy this thing exists, that this thing is here, I think was massive validation for us because if we can serve those 30, 50 women, um, you know, there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other women that are just like them who need those services. So that's when we knew, okay, we've got to keep going. Uh, we might mm. be onto something. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I mean, that's something that, that, that Cam and I have learned from, from a f uh, some previous guests is that you have to connect with your community. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's super amazing that those first sort of 30 users you uh, chatted to immediately and you, you, you know, you, you figure out what's working, what's not, what they really like about your product and why they, you know, you, you start figuring out how they're going to come back. And uh, as, as soon as you can get your first round of users to keep coming back, that's when you'll start seeing some real growth. So kudos to you for that. Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing, Tata, is like, you, you know, you've worked in these amazing uh, corporates where they have the the resources to implement something like this or they have the access and deep pockets to to build an opportunity like this and get that accessibility out to, to South Africans and, and greater Africa and not in a negative context but there's some sort of frustration that must sit inside you being in these corporates and going you know there's an opportunity that can be solved um and it's not yet being done you know how can we do this better and and where are the opportunities to go from so i mean that's an amazing journey to go on and when you kind of first started what what was the problem that you're actually solving because you you speak about serving these initial sort of 30 users um what was the the biggest problem that you believed you were solving was it the accessibility the affordability a sort of combination of the both yeah it was definitely the combination of of the two so prior to even launching the pilot i mean we did pretty extensive um research right um, but beyond research, we also built out prototypes of what the platform would eventually look like. And we sat with our our members, right, or our prospective members. And we started to understand, you know, whether depending on what health case season they're in, whether they're pregnant, whether they're just, you know, pre-fertility, whether they're a new mother, et cetera. We tried to really understand, you know, what were their specific pain points and what were we trying to address? Because what's interesting is oftentimes um, as a technology entrepreneur, you have this idea and you love the idea, right? And you want to birth that idea, but it's not always, uh, there's not always a problem that goes with that idea. So it's important for us to really make sure that we understood the problem and the key thing that we're trying to solve um, here for, for, for women's health in particular. And through our desktop research, plus the focus groups, plus the prototyping and getting the feedback from the members, plus the pilot, it was pretty clear that they were, I think they were the, they had two fundamental problems. Firstly, you know, 
healthcare, women make, or, or three, right, rather three problems. Women make about 80 to 90% of healthcare decisions uh, for themselves and their families. And this has been confirmed in research by Frost and Sullivan, the likes of McKinsey, and even in our own cohort, when we surveyed the folks, about, you know, 85, 90% of them would make decisions, not just for themselves, but for their partners and their children, and even for their elderly parents or grandparents. However, there was no bespoke solution that was really serving, you know, this consumer who clearly has a lot of influence and buying power and is the, the main caretaker. And it was clear to us by, by targeting that person, you invariably would then be able to serve the rest of the family. The second thing, um, which is a very important case in South Africa, and I think markets like the U.S. mirror this a little bit, is... Healthcare in South Africa is either ex really good quality but very expensive in the private sector or not so great quality in the public sector and inefficient. And so we're hearing stories of whether it was that lady who's maybe a, a cashier or receptionist who has to stand in line all day just to get contraceptive pills and she gets to the front and they tell her, oh, no, we're out of stock today and she's lost a whole day of work. That's a private sector, a public sector inefficiency. But we're also hearing of people saying, you know, by the time it's June, I'm running out of my MSA. I don't have savings. So I have to you know, pay out of pocket or I have to pay all these co-pays. So it starts to not really be affordable, particularly if you're going through a health season. So if you have if you're pregnant, if you're trying to conceive, if you have a new baby, you know, even even though you have access to really good quality health care, it starts to not be so affordable after a certain point in time and so we thought okay how might we use technology to be able to bring um bridge these two sides and and create a, a mid-price product that folks would be happy to pay for but then you know use the technology to help bring down the the, the price and then lastly the question of accessibility which is which is somewhat linked because i think it's accessibility of of resources of education of community, like you don't find a space. If I'm diagnosed with endometriosis, let's say, I don't really have a place to go to get resources, to get information, to get support, right? I'm alone. I don't really know how to manage my condition. Um, similarly, you know, when I when I want to book a consult with a, a specific OBGYN that can, you know, help someone get pregnant with difficulties, you know, they it's very difficult to get access to that person and those resources. And we thought, okay, how might we bring um, solve the problem of accessibility, whether of resources of practitioners, of services, um, but really bring them to that woman so that she can have everything she needs um, in the palm of her hand. Yeah, I mean, that's that's incredible. I, th I think the, the big part of that and accessibility and accessibility to information, like you're saying, you know, the and I think that's where the power of the community also comes in is that, you know, so many times you either researching some of yourself and there's a very sort of medical definition of what your actual response is. And, you know, every single person's different. Everyone's experienced different things. And, you know, with the masses of people and having this big community, you can build sort of commonalities of, you know, I'm going through something that's, you know, very unique and, I may be able to find other people in this community that have gone through it. And that sort of sharing of a network is so powerful. Um, and then sort of second to that is the accessibility. I mean, even something so simple as, you know, going to the doctor when you're sick. Um, you know, I know this is an aside point, but just knowing that you're going to be digging in your pocket for 400 to 1,000 Rand to visit the doctor and then you still have a very tedious process to go through and you might only mm -hmm. get a booking in sort of two weeks time. Um, so the combination of the two is, is, is really incredible. And I think sort of from our side, you know, we always very interested to see the, the metrics that are pointing in the right direction. And 
when you launched initially this the MVP and um, you know passed the sort of hack together Calendly booking um, product, were there any sort of key metrics that you were looking for to to kind of validate the product and and know that you somewhat heading in the right direction? Yeah, yeah. I think for us it was really important, um, particularly because we're, we're obviously venture capital funded and. Um, we 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 are very missional focused, but we also try to be very razor sharp on the business side um, as best as we can. And it's very critical for us to not just have a product that people say, "Oh, that's so great," but actually something people use and people paid for. And so we track those metrics very diligently. So essentially, revenue, even in those early days when we just had the the pilot, and then subsequently that the MVP before we launched the full platform, is you know, are people willing to pay? for the service. Um, and it was something we're in an accelerator and that's something that they 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 drilled into us because something like the community, for example, is obviously free, but um, you know, the other services are paid. So does someone want to pay for this? Is someone excited about this? And then secondly, you know, do they come back and how do you create that repeat business um cycle? And so tested that we also I and mean, we tracked that and we also tracked the growth rate month on month just to understand like is it growing if it's growing like where the sources of growth so we experimented with various small hacky campaigns just to really understand our our members because i think a lot of founders especially who those who are tech inclined will really focus on the product which i think is really good you'll go out and understand the customer but then you don't really think about distribution or marketing in that way as thoughtfully because um not all channels will work the same our members aren't going to experience or respond to things the same. So how are you ensuring that you're, you're really understanding where they get your product or where they interact with it, where they get the most value um, and testing those distribution channels. So, um, so that was really important because in the growth would tell us, okay, this is growing either because of word of mouth or because, um, you know, our campaigns are working. If so, like what's working better than something else. So that's what we did in the early days. And today I think we're still very diligent with that. So, uh, we we focus ve- ve- a lot on ensuring that we're growing our membership base, we're growing the number of services and um, people are using. And I think in future, as we as we start to become a, an ecosystem, because ultimately that's what the Zoe vision is about. It's not just about you know the virtual consults, which are wonderful, but this is just a start. We're going to do you know test kits. We're going to do home pathology. There's going to be you know, a massive, massive um, ecosystem that for us is really exciting because it makes it much more holistic uh, than just a, a one-talk consult. And and once we start getting to this territory, it's going to be interesting to see how many products then do people interact with. So they come in the community for free. You know, do they buy up into various products? If so, like, and how long can we serve them? Because ultimately that's the thesis. We can serve them right from puberty to menopause. So starting to track those metrics will be interesting over the next few months and years. We're still very, very early. Um, but for now, it's just around you know, growing the membership base, growing the revenue, um, and growing that repeat business. I'm sure uh, Miles is uh, <laughs> on the edge of his seat, yeah, because I mean, it's the perfect recipe from a tracking perspective. You have this quantitative data of you know month-on-month uh, analysis on the actual user behavior, and then you have this beautiful community that you can tap in into from a qualitative. Uh, perspective where you can actually identify you know what is their sentiment what are they speaking about you know possible questions can be posed and then you can kind of overlap that to the more quantitative stuff we actually have hardcore metrics um specifically on growth which i'm sure miles yeah i mean i mean it's 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 amazing to kind of 
uh, daydream about where this where this growth is going to go and you know just looking back uh, you know a year ago it's a completely different business um, so we're hearing about uh, I just I was just curious at the moment um, were there any real obstacles or, or sort of barriers to market that that you faced sort of in your infancy stages um, and how did you handle those obstacles yeah look I think I think it's two things I think um you know, one being in healthcare, it's very important to build trust with your members, right? Because you are, I mean, this is serious. You are not selling them, you know, candy. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, real. it's not a one-off product really, that they can return if they don't like it. Yeah. Exactly. It's not like a top <laughs> or a lipstick. Right? Yeah. This is like <laughs> I think building trust was so important with our members um, so that they believe that this is a legit thing that, you know, they can, they can trust. Um, us and and that was the, where the role of our clinical providers came in. So that's really important, right? And I think um, Dr. Noni spent a lot of time on the verification process of our various providers that we were partnering with and just ensuring that they were legitimate and being able to communicate to our members that your clinicians and people are going to care for you are highly qualified and have a lot of experience, etc. I think was the first one. Um, and we're still working on building trust over time. I think those who do trust, so we love it and they trust it, but it's just maybe some some people are a bit more skeptical, skeptical or not so comfortable with technology. So how do we start building trust with, with them? So I think that's the first one. The yeah, I think it seems like it's also an educational situation where, uh, you know, the, the campaigns that you're testing and the awareness that you're creating has to come from quite an educational standpoint. You know, at all times, you've got to be communicating with your community and even those that are not maybe maybe part of your community yet, just trying to mm -hmm. get the word out there exactly what your offering is and the value that you're providing, which mm -hmm. which is is really difficult at times. Mm -hmm. And that's such a good point, because those are some of the things that you know, you have to do to build trust that you may not see the results of today, but over time you do, right? So being able to put out like really good quality content that's moderated and curated by clinical providers, being able to, you know, have like, you know, these trustworthy figures who who help the, the women, like in terms of the clinical providers, I think it's been really important. So yeah, how do we ensure that we're educating people? It's a new concept. So how, how, how are we ensuring that, um, yeah, we're building that trust? I think the second thing, obviously, um, healthcare is quite quite well regulated, especially in South Africa, which uh, we have a we should all be grateful for, um, and and so just ensuring that you know everything was from a regulatory standpoint, everything worked, which it did, but just to make sure, just to double check, um, you know, work with the various regulatory bodies and advisors just to make sure that everything was you know according to the best standards. Because as much as you know we are digital, we are tech, um, it is important to ensure that you know we 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 stay within the bounds of of what um the regulators have to have determined so that took a bit of time but we had a lot of support amazing advisors um you know obviously dr Nelly scientific and clinical so you know a, a lot of help from her um but yeah those i think were the two things and that's probably why we had a bit of time between like launching the pilot and the mvp because there were a few things we needed to sort out from that perspective but uh, I would say those are the, the two barriers. Um, and these are things we can con continuously work work at. So, you know, we continuously work on the trust piece. We continuously work on ensuring that we're fully compliant with um, all the pieces of the various regulation and, and, and legislation that we need to be compliant with. Um, so, yeah. So, Tata, I mean, you from the pilot through to the MVP, through to, you know, uh, understanding the community needs and wants and 
consistently trying to find where the product's almost going to stick. Um, you know, you now fast forward. We in 2022. It's now May. Uh, you guys are are rapidly growing and building some nice traction. You have way more than your initial 30 users that were used as your sort of pilot test and and cohorts. Um, are you still solving the same problem of accessibility and affordability today? Um, and and what sort of changed? Yeah, I mean, spot on. I think the vision and the the thesis remains the same. Um, we're doing exactly what we set out to do and ensuring that we, we're tracking that. What's interesting and what's different is really how we build that out. Because when you have such a big vision, you know, it's easy to be like, okay, we want to do everything right now, right? Um, so just being like very thoughtful around how that's built out in stages, really naming each piece of the puzzle and then expanding um, whether by product line or even by country, we're thinking of, you know, uh, we're obviously planning expansions. Um, is really, really important to us. So, so yeah, I think we accept, we're, we're solving that, that problem. I mean, the, the feedback we get, we collect feedback uh, religiously every after every interaction, after, you know, every delivery, every consult, et cetera. And, you know, we, 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 we work on that feedback, but it's been consistently the same that, you know, this is a convenient, this is an affordable product, this is so easy yeah. to use. Um, or if they interact with one of our clinicians in the, in the community, they're like, oh, thanks, this was so helpful. And so we, we, we are still solving the problem we set out to solve. I think over time, as we add more services, that will evolve to be more comprehensive. But yeah, it's just about how we build it out very thoughtfully and very strategically, piece by piece. Is there a secret sauce as to how you prioritize uh, your product roadmap? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> a lot of... Uh, you know, it's. A, I won't lie. Like I think I'm sound. We're sounding very like you know, diligent and deliberate, and mm. we are in many ways. Um, but you know, mm. we are a startup, so we do lots of things. Hundred percent. We are very hacky. We talk to our members, and that's part of the benefit mm. of having a community that, you know, we can actually go out and we have thousands of women in our community, and we can poll people, right? Or we can ask them for mm. direct feedback, and they trust us. They're part of the community, so that helps us a lot um because we 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 want to ensure that we remain very member focused and not just as part of our kind of rapid idea so even some of the ideas that we'd had we wanted to expand into some of that had to be pulled back because we're following you know the, the feedback from the members so it's 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 i think we remain consistent in that way so ultimately our roadmap is prioritized by our members and uh mm. what what makes sense what resonates with them and the feedback we get with them because ultimately they're who we're serving and ultimately they're the one who can engage with the product so 100%. that i would say is, is the first priority and then secondly given that we are a startup um you know we prioritize speed we need to be very mindful of cash flow so I think those things are also very important, like, you know, what we can't necessarily take on like long multi-year builds or multi-year uh, projects like, you know, you might do in corporate. So, you know, we also look at okay, the cost benefit analysis, the time benefit analysis, and then we overlay that with the member feedback and then we prioritize what we think should go to market when. Yeah, I mean, Cam was saying that that's what he thinks is the best way to do it as well. So yeah, I was going to say that's the secret sauce. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, um, and and sort of the the product roadmap ahead. I know you can't give away too much um, as to what's going to launch when and why, but um, 
what what does that look uh sort of the next six 12 months is there anything you're prioritizing over others or um where you've kind of locked locked everyone into the dev cave for a certain reason um what what does that look like Look, I think it's a variety of things and um, we'll be testing, you know, lots of lots of different pieces, but ultimately it speaks to that vision of, you know, being an ecosystem or the home of women's healthcare. Mm. So how might we think about, you know, the ancillary products and services that support that? Um, so I think that's the most I can say. So a lot of kind of iteration on on the existing product. I think that's very important. Like I mentioned before, getting it right, like understanding your winners. Um, and we have pretty clear winners right now in kind of the, the Zoe world and ensuring that we're consistently optimizing on those because we don't want to lose focus and then do too many new things and we lose, we lose track of kind of what's working and what makes sense. So that's a priority. The new services that speak to kind of holistic healthcare are really important. And important for us, uh, we're looking at expansion quite seriously. Um, of course, maybe with partners in other parts of the continent because we, we're not on the ground there. But absolutely, I think what, what we've seen and what we've realized and even through our various interactions with Pan-African um, investors and, and, and women and other folks, you know, whether they're in Nigeria, Kenya, um, it's really, you know, this is a problem that's very universal. And, you know, in, in, in some of these other countries, you don't even have a private sector that people can lean on. But you do have people who want the service, who need the service, um, and are yeah. able to pay for the service, and, and there's, you know, high internet penetration. And so uh, that's a very big priority for us because we've always had the vision of, of serving the, the entire continent, um, which is very severely underserved. And, and so, yeah, that's a big, big priority. So who knows? Maybe... You know, we'll be we'll be chatting in another country in a year from now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I guess it's, I guess it's so interesting in um, moving into more technologically advanced countries and markets because, you know, in South Africa and Greater Africa, we lack the accessibility here, which makes it very attractive. And you know, having technology like this can, you know, basically get everyone in Africa onto a platform like this and get healthcare into their homes. And then you move to these more greater markets where they're more advanced, they're more tech savvy, and there the the problem still lies, um, but they're mm -hmm. sort of more used to dealing with this technology. So it's going to be interesting to see the adoption sort of as you expand expand to these markets. Um, but I'm interested to hear sort of what you think of uh, the sort of health tech industry in in the next sort of year or so. Is there any sort of bets that you're taking and? Um, as you guys expand, is there anything you're watching out for? Um, Miles thinks that the the metaverse is going to play a big role for some reason. Is there anything that you uh, you think is going to sort of come into play? Yeah, look, um, we're watching closely. I think post COVID, it's been interesting industry. I think you know COVID accelerated a lot of change within the health tech space um, globally and even on the continent. So I think, I think we'll start to see you know many players into the market. Um, I think we'll see, uh, you know, existing players right like try build out some digital uh, parts of their business. So that's going to be very interesting seeing some of the the companies, especially some of the bigger ones in SA, you know how they pivot into digital health and like what their offerings are. And I think the metaverse question is super interesting, um, especially <laughs> for healthcare. I'm a big, big, big uh, Web3 uh, aficionado, so I really love crypto and um, 
and NFTs and Web3. Not at the moment, though, surely, Tata. No. I don't think any of us love it at the moment. But. Yeah, no, not right now. I'm crying, yeah. but it's okay. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> if, if you don't know how to huddle, then that's your problem. But yeah, so mm. I think, I think it's, it poses a very interesting space for you know, the future of the internet. What I do think is super interesting, and I have this debate often with people, is that something like healthcare, very difficult for that to live in the metaverse, right? Because mm, uh, yep. unfortunately, as much as Zuckerberg may not like it, our bodies need, phys- like we, f- we are physical bodies too, right? Yes. And something like healthcare, particularly women's health, which is a, a very physical thing, even if we talk about the monthly cycle, um, we talk about pregnancy, there's nothing that I can metaverse about that, right? <laughs> so yeah. um so I think I think it'll be an interesting. I'd be inter- I'd be interested to see how health players, uh, you know, think about the future of health in the metaverse. I just think it's a very physical product, a very physical need. Um. So yeah, but I'm curious. You know, open to learning. Um. I don't know if there'll be a lot of those players, but I'm I'm really curious to see how that evolves over time. Yeah, I mean the the interesting thing with sort of Web three is also the the connection and making things a lot closer. Um, that sort of propensity is a lot lower because you have these communities just like yourselves where, you know, there's amazing things that could potentially be built to bring people a lot closer and, and share knowledge. And, you know, it's a very scary place when you look at sort of, um, the, the likes of real engine and all of these different platforms that are launching to have this, uh, you know, new world. Um, but there's also opportunity for people to build these nice communities and bring people to clo- yeah. closer together. So it's going to be interesting to see. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Tata, thank you so much for your time. Um, this has been an incredible recording and um, I'm sure outside of myself and Miles, the greater My Product Tested community is going to really enjoy this. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys, for your time. Um, and thanks for this. I enjoyed chatting to you guys. Okay, what do we think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's really exciting to see a it's really exciting to see a, a startup in this space. I think that uh, the the health tech space is going to be booming in five to ten years time because of that sort of uh, aftermath of COVID. So it's really exciting to see. You know, I'm excited to see to have her on again, and then you know see where they are in six months time, a year's time because they they are still pretty fresh uh, yeah. and i think they've done amazingly well up to this point um but it's just it's going to be amazing to see the progress they make from here yeah i think this like whole health tech industry or more healthcare as a whole has been f- been filled with you know people that are a lot older they've mm. the majority of the people need to study for you know 10 plus years before they actually are registered or can be entered into this field mm. so you know you don't have any you know for lack of a better word young blood in mm. this industry that's disrupting it and mm. i think this industry out of all industries is almost delayed in like the modernization of what technology could do and i think these guys are going to do an amazing job and mm. i think they have the funding. They have the amazing team. Tata and Nani is, are excellent founders, and mm. I think they're gonna the right recipe. For yeah, sure. I think they're gonna do a really nice job of actually delivering a product that's solving a problem, mm. and they can also deliver on the product. 
But I mean, uh, Tato kept speaking about engaging their community, and I think that that's massive. And yeah. That just has to be the case, you know, whether they've got a hundred users or a hundred thousand users, you always have to be connecting with your community in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, it it seems like that's her position and their position, and they're going to keep doing that. So, you know, they'll be able to build and release the products that are most valuable to their most valuable users. Yeah. And I think that's the key. And I think, you know, the, the challenge for them is to try, one, bring people into these uh, their ecosystem and then keep them there. Mm-hmm. And I think the community is a, an amazing place to start is that they can build these rich, valuable mm-hmm. users that are engaging and transacting, mm-hmm. and then they can onboard them into the actual ecosystem where they can transact on their products. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know how they bring them into this community and how they keep them there. I think that's going to be the challenge and and finding the right products to deliver yeah, and serve to them. It's interesting. I mean, I I touched on it briefly, um, but communicating that value is going to be a challenge that they have throughout their their you know time with uh, Zoe Health. Is I think I think their community is probably going to be using a lot of word of mouth to grow their community you know it's going to be a case of it being quite difficult to communicate value through marketing campaigns and things like that um, but just trying to get eventually get their brand their their platform top of mind and focus on getting reoccurring users i think that's going to be a massive focus for them throughout yeah yeah thanks for another week of my product tested we'll catch you next week Thank you.